Well, welcome. Greetings, Christian Faith Baptist Church disciples, saints of the Most High God. Welcome to another Bible study as we're continuing our study in Paul's letter to the church at Rome. It's so good that you could uh, that we can continue to join together for fellowship. As I just mentioned, uh, we also have prayer at 6.30, and what a blessed time that we had earlier today at uh, the noon hour. We had our Lenten devotional. This is a time of uh, reflection and renewal during the season of Lent, and I pray that God is doing a new thing in each of us <clears throat> as we continue to seek his face, as we uh, desire to walk closer with the Lord. And as um, the letter to James reminds us, if we draw nearer to him, he's going to draw near to us. And that's, uh, we are blessed. Whenever our heart's uh, desire is directed towards following after the Lord. So we are in uh, Romans 9. Let's begin with a time of prayer. Father God, thank you for this night. Thank you, Lord, for the power and anointing of your spirit. Thank you, Lord, uh, for your word, uh, the life-changing word, your word um, that is already uh, settled in heaven. Not one dotting of the I or crossing of the T will pass away. As Joshua said, not one good promises of the Lord has failed, and it never will. So, Father, we thank you, Lord, um, that we are hiding <clears throat> your word in our heart, that we might not sin against you, that we're hiding our word and hiding your word in our heart, that we may stay strong in the faith that uh, you have committed to us. And so, Father, enlighten us, open up our eyes through the presence of your spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Mm -hmm. Welcome, everyone. Uh, Romans chapter 9 and Sister Debbie Darlington. Can you read uh, Romans chapter 9, verses 1 through 13? We're going to kind of take this piece, piecemeal, and I'll, I'll talk more about the, the chapter itself in just a moment, or the section that we'll be going through. So Romans chapter 9, verses 1 through 13. Romans 9. I tell the truth in Christ, I am not lying my conscience also bearing me witness in the Holy Spirit that I have great sorrow and continual grief in my heart. For I could wish that I myself were accursed from Christ for my brethren, my kinsmen according to the flesh, who are Israelites, to whom pertain the adoption, the glory, the covenants, the giving of the law, the service of God and the promises, of whom are the fathers and from whom, according to the flesh, Christ came, who is over all the eternally blessed God, amen. Verse six, but it is not that the word of God has taken no effect, for they are not all Israel who are of Israel, nor are they all children because they are the seed of Abraham. But in Isaac, your seed shall be called. That is, those who are the children of the flesh, these are not the children of God, but the children of the promise are counted as the seed. For this is the word of promise. At this time, I will come and Sarah shall have a son. 
And not only this, but when Rebekah also had conceived by one man, even by our father Isaac, for the children not yet being born, nor having done any good or evil, that the purpose of God according to election might stand, not of works, but of him who calls. It was said to her, the older shall serve the younger. As it is written, Jacob I have loved, but Esau I have hated. Okay, we're going to stop there for, for now, and we'll continue reading after that. So before we actually get into the chapter itself, so chapters 9 through 11, uh, you have to look at those chapters as a unit, because each chapter is going to deal with some aspect of how he's relating back to Israel. And so when we read, when we read through 9, 10, 11, some of the themes uh, will overlap as we go through. So that's <clears throat> one thing that I want us to keep in mind. Secondly, uh, or second, there is uh, just a wealth or depth of uh, what is theological truth, especially in this particular chapter. And there are some hard issues uh, to that will what that will come up when it comes to uh, God's sovereignty, uh, foreknowledge, predestination, uh, God's choice. All those things we'll kind of discuss as we go through. But this is a, kind of the the weighty part, and it's interesting how it's set here because um, the first part we were talking about, you know, the that you know, all have sinned and we've been delivered. And then by the time we got to chapter eight, we were just rejoicing. Uh, the last part of chapter eight, it spoke for himself. Nothing will separate us from the love of God. And again, if I were writing this letter, I would have ended it right there on the high note. But no, <laughs> God always has more in store for us. So we'll continue uh, in our study in Romans chapter uh, nine, and we'll go little uh, go through it. So, just as we go through, there will be some uh, weighty issues, and we'll weigh through them. And the reason why I'm kind of front loading this is because uh, some of the themes have been debate de de <clears throat> debated from actually the uh, onset of the early Christian faith. So, from the 300s forward, the, some of the issues have been wrestled with and have various denominations have formed because of some of the issues. But I just want you to know that we, so we won't, we won't solve in 40 minutes or so what the church has wrestled with for ages, but at least want us to be aware and how, what, how this speaks to our heart and what God has in store for, for us. So we read through the verse, verses one through 13. And like, I usually like to start off by just asking, when we read through that first section, when you heard it read, what are two or three things that stand out to you uh, from that section, from verses 1 through 13? Um, Paul is sharing a little bit about himself. And so just, just tell me some thoughts that you're having uh, when we read, read through those first 13 verses. We'll try to look at two or three things that came up to you, uh, your observation. Um, 
pastor. Yes. Verse 11. Okay. What about verse 11? For the children not being born and none having done any good or evil, but the purpose of God according to the election, that they might stand not of works, but of him that call it. That okay. God chose them and he called them according to his sovereign election. Okay, so those are some of the... Yeah, they had those are some of the... Or had anything to do with it, but it's the calling of God. It's God's sovereign election. Okay. Mm -hmm. Those are some powerful terms. Okay, what else? Pastor, in verse 8, where it uh -huh. says, in other words, it is not the child, children by physical descent um, who are God's children, but is the children of the promise who are regarded as Abraham's offspring. Mm -hmm. Amen. It's, you know, and what we, when we read through, prayerfully, we're also making some connections to some of the things that we have gone over before. And so there is a connection, I'll, I'll mention this a little bit later, but there's a connection back to chapter four uh, that we went through earlier. One more thing, anything else? Just want to reiterate uh, what was said earlier about the sovereignty of God and all that we're reading here, that God had a predetermined plan and the word to let us know that even before the foundation of the world, there are good works that God had foreordained. And he's is being demonstrated here that he had foreordained that um, Sarah and Abraham and Isaac and Rebecca and so forth, all of these things have been foreordained by God. And even though in a, in a human sense, we can't understand why things happen the way they did, God always <laughs> has a plan and his plan is always working. His plan always will be working. All we've got to do is to be obedient to the plan that he has for each one of us. Amen. So we, we talked about some of the, the key terms there of God's sovereign plan. Um, the, I'll talk about Jacob and Esau. It was not based on what they did or um, children of the promise, not according to the law. So all of these things will get blended together as we go through uh, this particular section. So verses one through five, uh, what I've kind of lumped that section together where Paul is in a sense pouring out of his heart. After we went through, again, all the things that we went through in the end of chapter eight, the glory, the praise, and now he shares kind of his heart, his burden. And what is his burden? What's the tone in those verses from verses one through five? What is his message? He says it in verse two. So I'm going to read verse two. That I have great sorrow and continual grief in my heart. Okay. Mm -hmm. And yes. So Paul has this burden. And I want us to just hold on to that for a moment because that's his heartfelt burden. And the reason why I want us to wrestle there just for a moment is that um, 
that should we should also embrace some of that ourselves in mm-hmm. terms of having a burden. His his burden is pretty specific. Who's his burden for? For the brethren. the Israelites that he grew up with. So his his kinsmen or his kinfolk. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And that's kind of the word that is used in various translations, his kinsmen or his his relatives or his people. Um, so that's his burden. Um, and so it, it's okay for us to have a burden for our family members. It's okay for us to have a burden for the lost. And so we can kind of sense um, this sense of burden that he has and how does he relay it? Part of it is anguish and sorrow. I use the word burden. I also wrote down kind of the sense of his sadness and also there's some other things in there. What I also read in here is maybe some frustration. Can you see any frustration in these verses as he's relaying this information? A uh, pastor. Yes, go ahead, Reverend Tripp. He he got one that uh, I I don't think uh, I could go with him on it. I wouldn't go with him. He said okay. in the old King James verse, "For I could wish that myself were a ah, curse." I was hoping Christ. we get to that. Mm-hmm. Uh-uh. Not me. See, it's like Paul had to go by himself. <laughs> I said, no, nope. uh, yeah, you know what? I've I've preached, I've teached, and um, I've I've done what I can do. So, uh, no, I'm not giving this up. This is too precious. <laughs> uh, but we we can get the sense just from that. All you know, we kind of laugh at that, but that's how serious he is feeling, as because he has already laid out for us how precious <laughs> salvation is. And that he is has experienced it for himself. And we could just go back to his testimony. We know his testimony, what God had called him to do, and what all the things that Paul went through, his sufferings, persecutions, and all those kinds of things. And, and he lays it out that there that he would be, now I won't say, he, he's. this is kind of a hypothetical, in, in a sense, that I could... If only I could give up this so that my kinsmen would know the Lord. Now, it's important, and I don't want us to rush past this. Do you think that Paul really thought that he could substitute his salvation for theirs? No. Yeah, no, so I just no. want to make sure we're very clear. He is not saying that he is a substitute and he can somehow relay what he has experienced in terms of his relationship with the Lord and pass that on to his kinsmen. That no, would be anti- just a, Oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead. No, no go just, ahead. That's just another demonstration of his deep, deep concern he has for his people. Exactly. Yes. Exactly. And so that's why I wanted to capture that he loves them so much that if he could, mm. and that's the hypothetical, he, he would be willing to do that because 
this salvation is so precious. This burden is so dear. And so when we start thinking about some of our loved ones, friends, family, neighbors, whoever, that kind of burden that the Lord may lay upon us for those, and especially if you read what the rest says, he kind of lays it out for them. Brothers according to the flesh, kinsmen. And there's an interesting word here that's used if you look at the uh, NIV translation, those of my own race. And, and that's really, it's interesting because in the original language, that's not the word that's used. And so that's sometimes the power of a translation. When this, when this was translated, at least from the NIV perspective, race meant something a little bit different than it would mean in the 2020s. Race mm -hmm. is a flash word. That's a fighting word, whether it's a social construct, all the things that we discuss. And so the actual language in the Greek would be my kinsmen, my countrymen, my, but in terms of race, um, so that's, that's why it's good to read other translations. No knock on the NIV because again, when they translated it, race may have really spoke to the issue, but it means it's something a little bit different now. So I don't want anybody to get hung up on that in particular. Well, like me, get hung up <laughs> on that word race. Um, so I'm not going to project that on anybody else, but that's um, the power of looking at various things. So it's not, Paul is in no way a racist. Uh, what he's talking about is his 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 people, his family members. And that's and the word. Go I'm ahead. Sorry. I'm sorry. No, go, go right ahead. That's the word that's used in the message translation. He says, they're my family. I grew up with them. They had everything going for them. Family, glory, covenants, revelation, worship, promises to say nothing of being the race that produced the Messiah, the Christ. So he, he owns the people, even though he doesn't own their sinfulness. And doesn't it speak to uh, tantamount to his being Christ-like in that Christ sacrificed his life for ours, though Paul could come nowhere close to that. But I think he is speaking in that in those terms as if it's one of those as if things. I don't know. Yeah. And I think that's that's close because again, I just want to make sure that we understand that Paul is in no way saying he could substitute, but what he is saying, as was mentioned, he this is a way of relaying the sincere, the depth of the burden that he had for his countrymen, his kinsmen, or his family to be saved. And, 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 and this is where I said the frustration comes in is that they should know better. Yeah. There's a, the, and, he, and he goes down the list. They had it all going for them. The covenants, the promise, um, the patriarchs, all down the line of whom, you know, Judah, Jesus was born out of the tribe of everything pointed to Jesus and they missed it. That's the burden. That's the burden. So then we look at it. Do, do we, 
sometimes think about or pray about folks that were raised in the church, been exposed to the truth of the gospel, but for whatever reason, and we know what the, I guess we do not know what the reason is, but they have not given their life to Christ, but yet there's still a burden. Because they've been to Sunday school. They were raised up in the truth of the scripture. But yet they have not accepted the Lord. So those who are on their knees crying out to the Lord continue to do so. (laughs) Because that's that's real. It's and we'll get to the, about the, the sovereignty of God part in just a moment. But this is that sense of a burden. And, and you see how he gets down to verse five. There's are the patriarchs, and from them is traced the human ancestry of the Messiah who is God. Wait a minute, what do you say? The Messiah who is God over all. So he's pointing to the fact that Jesus is 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 God Himself, the Word became flesh mm-hmm. who is forever praise amen it's as if amen. right at that moment paul had to take a praise break because he's he's just started talking about jesus and he got amen. cut up in the moment this messiah who is god over all forever praised amen so be it that's how good the lord is anything else that you've seen in there. Uh, l- let me just take a, uh, I'll bracket this for a moment. Um, and because uh, I mentioned about various translations and I just want to clarify something. Um, there are a multitude of translations um, and there are various ways that uh, various tra- translations um, and what they use to come up with certain words or phrases. And so we have quoted often from the Message Bible. And the Message Bible is considered a paraphrase. Um, Eugene Peterson uh, is the main or the principal translator. So he takes the thought of scripture and translates that to the best of his bil- ability in the, in the common language. So it's a paraphrase. Then you have uh, translations that are kind of a a thought. So it's not necessarily fully um, the the exact word, but in in trying to get to the thought of what is being conveyed, um, it's it's done in that particular way. And then there's what we call the literal translation or word for word, which is more like the King James um, New American Standard. So there's, it's a spectrum and how translations are, 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 are done in the Bible. So, and I'd say that just to say, read various translations um, and um, gain what you can from, but uh, sometimes uh, when we're reading various translations, it's good to bounce them back uh, so that we can see and get a broader understanding of, of the truth of what God is speaking. So let me go back to verses 6 through 13. So Paul has traced down the lineage from uh, that 
they should know, meaning the Jews should know uh, and just frustrated that they haven't accepted the Lord. And then we get to the, this section where it begins talking about, and we use the term a couple of times, the sovereignty of God. So let's begin with that particular term. What does it mean when we use the term sovereignty of God? It, it needs definition because uh, that word is in particular is not found in scripture, but certainly the thought is. So when we say that God is sovereign or the sovereignty of God, what is it that we mean? Or what do we understand that to mean? Anybody? God is in control over all. Okay. The word so God is God is in control over all. Anybody mm -hmm. else? That God has every right. Okay. His creation. Okay. He has every right. He's control over all. What else? God has had a plan before the foundation of the world that he will carry out in every generation until the culmination when Christ returns. And um, we're all caught up to meet him. So God is in control. God has authority. Mm -hmm. God will execute his plan. And I'll just use his unstoppable plan. All these, and, and basically the word sovereign, it means to reign over. So when mm -hmm. we say things like he is king of kings and lord <laughs> of lords, that's an indicator, that's a, a confession that we believe that God reigns over all. Uh, one of the th words that's captured, uh, at least in the Hebrew, it would be El Shaddai, would be the mm -hmm. almighty one. So yep. he is uh, all powerful and that's where we get omnipotent. So part mm -hmm. of the sovereignty of God is that he is omnipotent. He's mm -hmm. all powerful. Then the other part of the sovereignty of God is he is omniscient, which mm -hmm. means he knows, knows everything. All. And omnipresent. Mm -hmm. He <laughs> Everywhere, there is not a place where God is not. not. There's only right. one who can make that claim. And that's God Almighty. Amen. The psalmist said it like this, the earth is the Lord. And the so he he created it. And that's where we get back to the, he has the authority. So it's his. And so when we talk about the sovereignty of God, that's kind of the, the setting the stage. And so verse six, it's clearly stated. So although the, the Jews mixed, missed it, he says, it is not as though God's word had failed. Mm -hmm. So we say God has a plan. He reigns. He's going to execute that plan. Plan. But how did they miss it then? So is it because God somehow failed in executing 
his plan? And what's the answer to that? No. Absolutely no. not. <laughs> so God's word has not failed. So mm-hmm. he elevate or Paul uh, in this instance again elevates not only God as sovereign, but he also ex- elevates God's word. God's word will never fail. fail. Not one dotting of the I, crossing of the T will pass away. So he has an eternal plan, and it was referenced earlier, before the foundation of the world. And that that gets beyond our comprehension because we weren't there. We can't, we can sometimes only remember, remember, you know, a couple of days or maybe a few years, but God has a plan from beginning to the end that's beyond our comprehension. Um, And we'll see Paul uh, use that expression in chapter 11. Uh, where he states, uh, "Oh, how unsearchable are his ways!" And so we'll get to, we'll get there. But here, God's word has not failed. And how can he? How is he couching this? How is he uh, letting us see that? Well, he starts off by saying, "Well, well, not all are dis- who are descended from Israel are Israel." And so let's start breaking that down. What does he mean by that? Not all descended from Israel are Israel, meaning what? And he starts to go in verse seven and eight and all the way down to verse nine, he'll begin to explain that. So not all who are descended from Israel are Israel. Hmm. I take that to mean just because your mother was saved doesn't mean you were saved. Okay. Why, why are you going to break it down and make it so simple? <laughs> <laughs> so that, that, in essence, is what, what he's going to start saying in the next few verses, is that not all who, who are Israel by name, and we can also say just because you have the name uh, Christian Faith Baptist Church, is that a guarantee that you're saved? No. 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 Salvation is by grace through faith, and we've already went through that. And so he's breaking it down now, and he's focusing on um, Israel. And so then he goes on into, to, in order to explain that, not all descendants Verse 7, nor because they are his descendants are they all Abraham's children. On the contrary, it is through Isaac that your offspring will be reckoned. Hmm. So this is some Old Testament, Genesis type. Mm -hmm. So who are the children? Who are Abraham's children? Does anybody know the name? What's that? Are they the ones that are descended by blood? I'm, I'm going, yes, I'm going by, by blood relation, his mm-hmm. biological children. Who are his children? Jewish people. Okay. <laughs> Even more directly. Let's go back to Genesis chapter 25. Who is his, who is his first born son? Ishmael. Ishmael. Yeah. Ishmael. 
Um, okay. And then we had Isaac. But let's Isaac. go to Yes, Isaac. Let's go to Genesis Isaac. chapter 25. Go ahead. But Isaac, Isaac was the promised child. Ishmael yes. was not the promised child. Right, and that's what, and isn't it what he just said? Not all who are descendants of Abraham. So the promise did not come through Ishmael. But it, come, it, come. it the promise is through Isaac. Isaac. And so if you look at Genesis chapter 25, it goes through a list of the other children of, of Abraham. So there were plenty of children of Abraham because he had a second, uh, another wife, Keturah, and they mentioned all the children, but they are not the children of the promise. The promise comes through Isaac. So now he narrows the scope. So not all Israel are Israel, not all Abraham's uh, descendants are children of the promise that comes through Isaac. Um, what else comes next? Verse nine, for this is how the promise was stated. Amen. At the appointed time, I will return and Sarah will have a son. Amen. Talking about Amen. this is, so who determined that? Uh, God did. So remember when we talked about God's plan and the sovereignty of God? This is God's doing. So it's God's choice, his sovereignty. Not only that, verse 10, and it goes down to the next generation. Rebecca's children were conceived at the same time by our father Isaac. Yet, verse 11, this is what we started re referencing before. Yet, what's that next word say? Before, before the twins were born. So it was not based on human effort. Mm -hmm. It was in the plan of wow. God before they had done anything good or bad. God had planned, or in this translation, has purpose in elections. So God's plan, Abraham, he chose him. Why did God choose Abraham? Abram, Abraham, out of the Ur of the Chaldees, just because he's God and yeah, he can do yeah, that. He can do it. Mm -hmm. Isaac, could God have chosen just to use Ishmael? No, he said, no, it's through Isaac. So his plan is unveiling and being un being unfolded. And now next you have Jacob and Esau before they had done anything. His plan. What did he say? The older will serve yes. the younger. Yes. And we see that unfolding. Jacob, I love, but Esau, I hated. That's a strong statement there. Yes. Can we can we just skip over that? No, we can't uh -oh. skip over that. Let's not skip over that. Let's let's stop there for a while. What does it mean that God loved Jacob, but Esau he hated? Remember, this is all in the context of God's sovereignty, his plan, his election, his choice, his power, his authority. And then we get down to verse 13. And remember, it wasn't anything that Esau did or Jacob did beforehand. So now we have here, but Jacob, I love. Esau, I hated, 
Mm-hmm. That's from um, a passage from Malachi. So what is it, what is God conveying there? Same. Anybody? Yeah. Did somebody say, hmm? Yeah. Yeah. It's, when, it's when, you it, when you look at it from the human standpoint, it looks uh-huh. like okay. Okay. love. But God and his sovereignty is sovereignty is working out his plan. It looks to us as if there's a a love relationship, but it's really just a sovereignty. God being worked out, which again, plan boy, anything was ever created. And as it's being manifested and working out, it looks to us. So I like the word says that God's thoughts and plans so much higher than than ours. We can't understand. Because he is sovereign, and we are not. <laughs> reason I laugh because that's kind of an expression. He he's God, and we're yeah, not. not. And so that that is a good perspective to have. This is look. This is being conveyed so that we can kind of have an understanding of it. That it's it's not so much that God hated Esau. This is, and once we encountered this in uh, Matthew's Gospel where there's a sense of hyperbole. So this is an an example in terms of the extreme. This is what God did, not that he actually hated Esau, but the point is it was God's sovereign choice to elect, to choose Jacob. Because if it was something that Jacob or Esau did, well, then we can start looking at resumes. Jacob was a deceiver. <laughs> he was a trickster. So it wasn't based on what Jacob did. Yeah, Esau gave up his, but they all sinned. But God's sovereign choice to bring about his divine plan. Any questions on that? Because when you see that, it's like, wait a minute, he hated Esau? No, it's just an expression to example, uh, to to exa- or to exalt the issue of God's sovereignty, His choice. Let's go down to verse fourteen through fourteen through eighteen. Uh, Pastor, before we go there, yes, could we say when we look at ourselves and we then try to measure ourselves against others and the way others may be elevated and it looks as if we are not in, in, in ministry, uh, in growth, that we have to be careful that we don't measure ourselves against others because of God's uh, sovereign power and his choices for for how he chooses and uses different people uh, in different ways. And it doesn't mean that God does not have a plan for us or that God does not have uh, a, a will and a desire for, for all of us really to grow and to be effective in ministry, but that, that God has various gifts and various ways that God uses all of us. And it may appear to some that God is doing this for this one and not doing this for me or for, for themselves. 
And we have to be careful to avoid that kind of thinking. Mm-hmm. Yes, and actually, he'll he'll get to that later in chapter 12, where he talks about the various gifts that he has given. So by setting the stage here for us to really to focus on the sovereignty of God. And if our focus is on the sovereignty of God, and we're able to trust him, so using the example of ministry, uh, if we're only comparing ourselves or what we see, then our eyes are not on the sovereignty of God. Our eyes are on what is not happening for us or why isn't this happening? You go back to the person or the creator who set things in motion. And there's a whole lot of other things that can be uh, looked at there, but the focus is on the sovereignty of God and his plan unfolding and trusting uh, in the God who is working things out. As we saw in chapter eight, what can separate us from the love of God? Shall And we can go through the list. And so if we focus on that, then focusing on our lack, uh, as opposed to focusing on the God who is a supplier, the one who plans, who has authority, who reigns, that's where the focus should be. So that's the first part. Anything else? Pastor. Go ahead, Reverend Tripp. Jonathan Edwards once said, and he used it in very plain old-fashioned terms, he said, what God does, tis his prerogative to determine mm-hmm. the largeness of the vessel. Mm-hmm. Whatever God does, tis his prerogative. Do what you want to do. That's how great God is. That's how great our God is. So if we focus on God's sovereignty, his power, his authority, and that he is in control and he reigns, then we we release ourselves from trying to take the control because we don't have control. God is in control. It's his divine plan and purpose, which will come to pass. Let's, and it releases me for asking him so many questions. <laughs> yes, it it. Well, I would say I'll just stop there for. It's okay to ask God questions. Mm-hmm. Come, let us reason together. So God is because God. I'll just say God ain't scared of us. <laughs> we're, we're not. We're not going to trip God up. Like I'm going to throw God a curve. That's what the Pharisees try to do with Jesus. Try to trip him up. God. God's not scared. You. You just. He's like, come on, bring it. Bring it on. Um, so we can ask the questions. Habakkuk did that. Um, so we can ask him the question. But Job did that. So over and over again, we can see. But in the end. Guess who's guess who's ultimately gonna win the argument? Who God. won before you asked? <laughs> <laughs> he won already. <laughs> but and and remember going back to Romans chapter eight. The Holy Spirit intercedes with sighs and groans too deep for words. 
So there are some complex issues that we may face that the Holy Spirit can take those confused questions and thoughts and doubts and wonder why, and just in our spirit we groan, but the Spirit of God is going to take that to the Father and say, your child just, just needs some loving right now. This is what he's crying out. So cry out to God, yeah. call on him, question, but also know that God is God is sovereign. And sometimes we, we are going to walk away. I would like to say that when you walk away, you're going to understand it. But sometimes, like the song says, we'll understand it better when, by, and by. And maybe that won't be until um, in the celestials, when it finally dawns on. You know, you have you walk away from something and say, oh, that's what, that's because we trust that God is in control. That's what the sovereignty of God is all about. So rather than me kind of trying to rush into this next section of verses 14 through 18, mm -hmm. um, we're gonna stop there because there's more questions that are going to come up when we talk about continue, because this is gonna continue to talk about the sovereignty of God. It's gonna talk about God's election and choice. And I just want you to be oh, thinking so, through, well, what about, so what is our human like responsibility in all of this? And so, so that's all going to come about in the next section. And as I said, I would encourage you to read uh, Romans 9 through 11, because all that section is interconnected. So uh, we're going to stop there. We'll pick up next week in Romans 9, beginning at verse 14 through the end of the chapter. Amen. 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 Good stuff. I think so. Whenever oh, we talk great. about the sovereignty 